date is Friday, January 21st, and you're listening to Entertain This, a thought-provoking podcast encapsulating all things entertainment. On this episode, we're going back in time to talk about one of the best sequels ever made, Terminator 2 Judgment Day. We'll discuss how this movie was made and the deeper metaphors hidden behind the action movie facade. So enjoy! Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the only show on the internet encapsulating all things entertainment. It's Entertain This. And now for your cold open, back to us a couple minutes ago. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Welcome to Entertain This, everyone. <laughs> no, that's not how this works. <laughs> guess guess who's doing the cold opening today? Not you. That's right, not me. Alex, back to you. So I've learned something. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned that if right before we start the show, I say some obscenity, <laughs> there's an amount of tension that builds up in Nick that propels him throughout the rest of the show. And with one word, one obscenity, I can release all of that tension right before we start. And he goes into a giggling fit that doesn't stop. Ever. Ever. <laughs> He's the like a slinky. Is, the problem is, this is a reoccurring... I don't know if you want to call it a bit, but <laughs> you're just <laughs> somebody will say something funny and then I'll be giggling through the intro. Yeah. And <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I try to hold it back, but it only makes it worse. You physically can't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know what to do. I kind of want to wait it out, see what happens. I'm okay. See how long he does it. <clears throat> okay, the cough I think clears it. I'm composed. Cleared my throat too. Okay, great. Uh, well, <laughs> putting the work, putting the power, and take what's ours. It's Entertain This, a thought-provoking podcast encapsulating all things entertainment. As always, I'm Alex. I'm Michael. And I'm Nick. And that intro felt dirty and wrong. Mm-hmm. Very. <laughs> Nick, when you edit this, edit all that out. Let's start it <laughs> <laughs> Edit the part where he says the thing. <laughs> edit all of it. Edit, edit it up to right now. Okay, and now you're going to put that part that you edited out back in for the cold open, and then you're going to put in this part immediately after that part, and now we can start the show. Oh, it's genius. I love it. You know what? This is just... Do it because it's going to be hilarious, especially when they're listening to this part where I'm arguing with you that you have to do it. It's going to make the joke funnier in the long run. These cold opens are just getting too bizarre and convoluted and... They're going to be like that until we hit a point where I it goes back to normal. That's how these kinds of shows work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> what is normal? There is no normal. I don't know. I don't know. There was a way I started the show originally when we didn't talk about it, and that's what we'll go back to. Anyway, <laughs> another week. Remember. Another week has uh, has has come and gone. Congratulations on making it to Friday, everyone! It's a huge accomplishment. We're very uh-huh. proud of you. Way to go! You did it. Woo. Look at you. Go, little rock star. We see yeah. you. We see and acknowledge your accomplishments. And to reward you for that, we got another episode of Entertain This for you. This week in the rotation, uh, it's it's January, so it's the first month of the year, so things are still a little confusing here. But uh, as we have explained in every episode so far, we did switch up the rotation for the new year, season three of Entertain This. And yep. closing out for the month of January is actually Nick. Nick is now ending each month. So this episode goes to you. I thought the guest was after me. Yeah, the guest is after you, but out of the three of us, you close the rotation. I'm not doing this math. No, I got it. 
Yeah, we got uh, it. come on, come on. <laughs> it's just the whole code opened, uh, you know, it scrambled some eggs in my brain. and Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, Don't worry, I... when, you, when you edit the podcast, you'll get to listen back to the instructions that I gave you on what to do about the cold open. <laughs> the explicit instructions. Yep. It's over very, and over and it's, over and it's, over again. <laughs> I think it'll be very clear once you get in there and start cutting it up. Is this like Groundhog Day? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> That's not we did an episode on Groundhog's about. Day, didn't we? Yeah. No. Did we? Scrooged. Uh, Bill Murray. Uh, uh, huh? Maybe we will in the future. <laughs> okay, let's Put a go pin ahead. In it. Okay. So, since the beginning of recorded history, humankind has sought easier ways of accomplishing the tasks that we need to do to survive. Mm-hmm. We learned farming, and then we realized that farming by hand kind of sucks. Hey, farming sucks. And then we started using these funny shaped sticks that made digging in the dirt a little bit easier. And then you know what we did? Hmm? After that, we said, these funny looking sticks suck. Their first tools were, uh, they were rugged. They were nature-made objects. Like like we said, sticks. They're simply repurposed by our caveman ancestors. And they're the ones that had the bright idea to say, you know what? Me want more food, less work. Unga bunga. And it's the tools of the age that helped us out and to do it. I don't know if that's PC. (laughs) (laughs) It's not offensive, but isn't it? I don't know. Cavemen are going to be very angry. Geico did that whole bit with the they had a TV show. They had yeah. a whole TV show. Yeah. I was a little offended. Speaking of somebody with uh, 3% Neanderthal DNA. Um, anyways, that's off track already. Is that a fact? <clears throat> True. Is that a lot? I don't know. Is that everybody? I, I just pulled that off the top of my head. I don't actually know oh, if that's so a... it's not... A, so the first answer... The question was, is that a fact? The answer to the first question would have been uh-huh. no. Um, It's a guess, <laughs> you can't fact check me. You don't have my 23 and me. Next try, Chloe. Neanderthal <laughs> isn't a race of people that you can track through 23 and me. It's a, no, um, I think you can. Yeah, I think I, you can because it's still in your genome. Yep. Don't think you can. Yeah. I don't think that you can be like, oh, I'm this much Neanderthal because no, I think you can. You can. Everybody was Neanderthal. Yeah, everybody Neanderthal has was, but it depends on how diluted it is at this point. Yeah. Anyways, evolution's a weird topic. I think that (laughs) I feel like we're about to get into a science talk anyway, and I feel like if there are science people listening, they're going to be really mad if we say, "Hey guys!" Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we were drowning out here. What's up? Called me out personally, and I always respond to that. So. I looked it up. Approximately 20% of DNA, Neanderthal DNA, survives in modern humans. However, a single human has an average of 2 to 2.5 Neanderthal DNA overall, with some countries and backgrounds having a maximum of 3%. So So the answer was 3. It It could be true, but he does not know this for a fact. And I think that's the point. And can it be tracked through 23andMe? I have Or does everybody have Neanderthal DNA in it? Probably it would show up on most everyone's. I'll look it up. But it shows up? Yeah. Yeah. He was not lying about that. It says you're this much of Neanderthal. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Why would I lie to you? (laughs) Why would you be a certain amount Neanderthal? I thought Neanderthal was like a time. No. Like humans were Neanderthals and then they stopped being Neanderthals at this point. No. It was like two different upright. Uh, so is it like an extinct species of human? Mm-hmm. 
basically yeah yeah yeah. it's like we we have unearthed a neanderthal we have its genome we have been able to codify that and then we compare the code from modern humans to that and that's how we get the percentage of overlap and we were like like, we were like hey they're humans and then they're neanderthals kind of like they're monkeys and then there are like uh, gorillas yeah it's it's also kind of like how humans and monkeys share dna this mm-hmm. 23 and me tell you how much monkey you are? No, I'm pretty <laughs> sure you're right. You are. Thanks, Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> how much of a banana are you? <laughs> That'd be, I want to see that. We share Isn't more like DNA 94%? with bananas than yeah. we do other things, and we know that for a fact. Anyway, uh, I don't think that we're talking about uh, Planet of the Apes today. No, I wish That's we not were. the one. Is yeah. it a different movie? It's a different movie. Um, okay, well, let's hear it. I, I got a little intro spiel. We got to get through the intro no, spiel. I'm, I'm trying to get you back to it. Th- this was all a segue for you to work your way back to it. So anyways, <laughs> anyone who's played uh, history-based games will be familiar with the progression known as a tech tree, which starts with mm-hmm. very basic things like wooden tools and stone wheels. And then it progresses to something we call like end game techs. Think of giant death robots and supercomputers and stuff yeah. like that. You start off with rocks and twigs and you end up with cyberpunk stuff. But at the top of these tech trees, there's always some sort of end. There's some point where you reach the top to enjoy the view or maybe to savor the reward of a game well beaten. And in the end, that's something that, you know, you have to come to eventually. You just can't advance and expand endlessly because programmers are running out of things to put in the game after all. But we're well aware that all this technological achievement is not without cost. We pay for these new techs with in-game research points or xp or whatever you want to call it the same way that our real world advancement is paid for by damage to our environment and just like don't look up we're once again wading into the realm of pre-apocalyptic drama the discussion of one of the best action movies of all time the terminator kind of funny that alex chose to talk about uh don't look up previously on last week's episode because there are a few parallels to draw between this and the uh the terminator we have the classic kind of chicken little character who's yelling endlessly about oh the sky is falling the world's coming to an end and nobody believes him and that's where we want to start this episode with a trip back to 1984 with the release of the first terminator movie so hopefully you guys have both seen this film (laughs) or else things are going to get awkward no, I've seen Terminator. Yeah, I've seen clips. Clips? You haven't seen the entire movie? Uh, I think, like, by proxy I have, but never, like, sit down, start to finish. Yeah. Mm. It's one of those. It's one of those where you started the movie with your grandparents when you were three and playing with Hot Wheels, and then you finished it when you were, like, 28 and flipping through <laughs> channels. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, are there any, like, moments that you guys remember from those clips that you've seen, or...? I remember I'll be back. Yeah, I'll be, I remember the, <laughs> and the quotes. I'll be back. And then I remember like the the uh hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> so uh, that's Terminator 2. <laughs> I remember specifically the special effects at the time were relatively impressive. Mm-hmm. So the first movie's special effects special effects were kind of they were yeah, they were okay. budget. But the low second budget. ones was good. Second yeah. ones for the time were top notch. I do remember that. Absolutely and a lot of them weren't CGI, they were like actual uh what? practical effects well i'm talking There's more both. about the There's like both. getting shot by a uh shotgun and then your chest like showing like metal scraps like melting out <laughs> oh, that was a practical gotcha. effect that I was, was like say, 
a vest I don't think, that somebody I don't think wore. you can like do a practical effect for a man turning into liquid and moving through <laughs> someone turning into liquid metal no not so much that one i don't think okay we're gonna start off with a guy and then throw a bunch of heat at him i do i do melt. remember now that i think i do remember at one point i think arnold schwarzenegger robs a few people at gunpoint of their clothes <laughs> so that's terminator 2 a lot of these yeah. are from terminator 2 but that's okay that's because our, that's our ex-governor arnold schwarzenegger uh, well to governor you, of california yeah that's pretty cool the governator they called him pretty cool um <laughs> But that's kind of where the this conversation is going to lead. Hopefully, if we get to it, as is Terminator Two. That's where I want to focus a lot of our conversation today. Um, but we do have to get the Terminator, the first movie, out of the way because we get into the lore of it, I guess. So uh, we have to get up to speed in this universe, so mm-hmm, to speak. Mm-hmm. The uh, first movie, as you know, was released in 1984. Um, there was a we count seven year gap in between this one and uh, Terminator Two. There's reasons for that. We'll get to that later. You guys know anything about this film and what went into making it? When it went into making it? No. Yeah. What wasn't this though like one of the first movies that Arnold Schwarzenegger got that like put him into stardom, like from being like the well-known bodybuilder guy to being an actual like actor? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was this was one of the first films that kind of solidified his uh his lead man um mm-hmm. status. Because before I think you had uh Conan the Barbarian. I think right. that came out before. Was that this. before? Yeah. Okay. Because he was he was shooting it right before he started filming this one. So gotcha. Really quick, here's the here's the Spark Notes plot that I've condensed from several paragraphs on Wikipedia down to, to one. Nice. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Um, that's pretty much a good summarization of our entire podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if we can do anything, it's this. I, I want to make it a point to say I did not use Wikipedia once in the last episode. I used Ooh. all actual sourceable websites and stuff like that, which was exciting and new. New year, new me. Thank you. <laughs> nice. Did you uh, cite it in MLA format or, or no? No. Okay. I never learned MLA format, actually. And every time I was told to do MLA format, I just didn't turn in that assignment. <laughs> you just Same. didn't do it. <laughs> Same, actually. Citing sucks. Nobody likes to cite sources. Um, <laughs> but here's the plot summary. Basically, uh, sometime in the future, the, the exact year in this movie is 2029, so uh, seven years away. <laughs> Robots decide to nuke humanity. They take over the entire military um, and all the robots and stuff because at this point they have, they've taken um, all the production facilities of the robots under their AI control, I guess. So basically it's robots making robots at this point and they're completely in charge of all the fighter jets and all the missiles and nukes, uh, which is kind of crazy. So they nuke humanity. Basically they start a nuclear conflict and then humanity's pretty much almost completely wiped out. You have one guy who goes by the name of John Connor. Mm-hmm. He saves humanity by destroying the robots. He finds some glitch or something like that, but he shuts down Skynet. Skynet's the uh, robot overlords at this point. A resistance fighter guy by the name of Kyle Reese is sent back in time from the future to 1984 to protect John Connor's mom, <laughs> Sarah Connor. So are we making sense now? I know it gets kind of confusing when we throw in time travel. <laughs> no, I that makes so. sense. Yeah, okay. yeah. And then, uh, at the same time in 2029, a Terminator robot, who's played by our boy Arnold, is also sent f- uh, back in time from the future 
1984 with the set goal to kill Sarah Connor. So, and then you have this conflict ensuing where the, the Terminator robots hunting down Sarah Connor and Kyle Reese is doing everything he can to protect him, of course. Robots are very big, bulky pieces of metal, so they can take multiple, you know, pistol rounds to the face and be just fine, which I think happens in the movie. It's kind of funny because Kyle Reese turns out to be um, John Connor's dad. He he gets he gets a little romantic with Sarah Connor, and impregnates her, of course, on the on the first go, which is you know, what a cool way of saying that. What a poetic and cool <laughs> way of saying that. That's what happens. <laughs> they, they get they get uh they get very close. How about that? <laughs> It all ends with this this scene where they're in some sort of factory and they take a hydraulic press and crush the Terminator. They somehow lure him into the trap and so he's dead. I love those hydraulic press videos. <laughs> Welcome, Welcome to, to the hydraulic press, press channel. <laughs> <laughs> Today we are going to compress the Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's how, that's how this first Terminator meets his demise. <laughs> and then you have this long scene at the end where it's it's uh, Sarah Connor rambling. Uh, she's doing a voiceover over uh, this this Mexican desert, and she's like, "Oh, someday I'm gonna I'm gonna tell John all this." And there's there's this scene where they have the photograph, and that's the photograph that Kyle Reese had had and is brought back from the future. Mm-hmm. That somebody takes the photograph at the gas station. And Sarah has it. It'll make sense. Just go watch that movie, okay? (laughs) Cool, cool. Sounds good. Okay. So I think that, you know, the zeitgeist of the 80s had something to do with the making of this film. When you look at all this offshoring that just happened in the 70s, you have the creation of the Rust Belt in our area, where uh, a lot of, like, manufacturing jobs left the United States for Mm -hmm. one reason or another. You know, uh, global uh, economic forces came into play there. And you have this kind of fear of the robots are taking our jobs. Because before, in the 50s, you, you had to have like 10 people to make a car. And now in the 80s, you maybe had to have maybe one person to screw in the bolts that the robots couldn't get to. And all these robotic welders and stuff like that. So I'm thinking maybe there is a bit of that. But the, the, actual, the actual reason why this, <laughs> why this film came into existence was because of director James Cameron. You've heard of this guy before? Hey, he He's, likes submarines a lot. <laughs> he does. <laughs> he likes submarines so much. James Cameron. <laughs> there are two James things James Cameron <laughs> loves, and that's submarines and big tall blue women. Those are those two <laughs> things. Those are the things that that dude cannot get enough of. He loves them. Avatar was okay. It's a film. It's fine. It's a fine film, but a sequel is unnecessary. Continue. Please don't make a sequel. They've already made it. It already exists. Oh, no. It hasn't come out yet. James, stop. He won't. He has to have more submarine money. (laughs) More money for submarines. There's so much of the ocean unexplored, and it's up to James Cameron to do it. Oh, no. You know, some, some millionaires, they take rockets. To space. Some take submarines. <laughs> James Cameron dives too deep into the ocean and he comes up on Mars like, what the fuck? <laughs> Where did I, what? Elon Musk is pissed. <laughs> There's Who knew a the wormhole. way up was down? <laughs> there's a wormhole. That's why he's wanted to explore it, because there's a wormhole that goes to Mars at the bottom of the ocean. 
So anyway, he was like, I love submarines. I love these giant mechanical <laughs> arms. I'm going to make something with giant mechanical arms. What about a man? How about Arnold Schwarzenegger? He's already got giant guns for arms. Terminator. Uh, Arnold is absolutely jacked in this film. I definitely like to look at him a little more. But uh, the the <laughs> this all happened because... There is a there is a percentage of our fan base who, when you said that, just put a little tick next to your name. <laughs> like, yeah, got him. <laughs> That's there he is. James Cameron was making a film about piranhas or something. I forget the actual title, uh, but basically he had a fever dream because he'd fallen ill. He was being chased by a metallic torso <laughs> holding kitchen knives, dragging itself from an explosion. Does that sound can familiar? I, can I just say, James Cameron, fucking weirdo. What up? <laughs> you know, it's such a weird thing to be dreaming about. But yeah, that it, sounds like Terminator. It was a fever dream, and that actually happened in the second movie, which we were going to get to, minus the kitchen knives, I guess. But the initial outline of the script involved two Terminators being sent to the past, and this was similar to the Terminator in the film, while the second was made out of liquid metal, which cannot be destroyed with conventional weaponry. Isn't that like, doesn't that metal have like a special weird name? It's not real. But it's uh, what do they call it? A mimetic poly alloy, something or other. Something like that. It's based off of mercury. Yeah, except mercury is not solid. <laughs> Usually not solid. Well, no, it's a liquid. That's a that's liquid why metal. they based it off of mercury. Yeah, it's the only metal that exists in its liquid form at room temperature. Don't play with mercury, kids. No matter how cool it looks, and no matter what old that old timey scientist time traveler says, I know he has a time <laughs> machine, but he's from the 1970s, and he's gonna make you eat it. For your for medicine purposes, <laughs> mercury was huge in medicine. Oh yeah, like with mm -hmm. it. I think I've talked about this before, but like Abraham Lincoln took mercury pills, and it like pissed him off and almost made him too unstable to run like the army during the Civil War. And mm -hmm. he decided to stop taking the mercury pills, and that's why everyone thinks that at some point he chilled the fuck out and became the great man that we all know him as, because he was like, you know what, no more mercury for me. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, first real fan. True, true story. Um, <laughs> anyways, James Cameron felt that the technology of the time was unable to create a liquid Terminator because computers were just, you know, they're just coming on the scenes and he knew that CGI wasn't quite there yet. So he shoved the idea to create the appearance of the T-1000 Terminator character until Terminator 2 Judgment Day in 1991. The original Terminator movie was originally budgeted for only $4 million, and that was later raised to 6.5 million so it's a 6.5 million budget if there was a little interference from orion pictures who was the distributor at the time orion kind of had these suggestions they had their own ideas of course as they do and they were talking with uh with james cameron he's like hey can you change the script to make reese have a canine android dog and james cameron was like no and then they're like hey can you can you make this love interest between sarah and reese and then cameron was like okay i can do that so then you see that in the film of course it was March of 1984 when the first, uh, when the film started getting into production. I think they shot the first scene or something like that. And Cameron felt that with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger on the set, the style of the film kind of changed, explaining that the movie kind of took on a larger than life uh, sheen. And <laughs> Arnold was larger than life at this time. <laughs> he was a very big man. And most of these Terminator action scenes were filmed at night, which led to a very tight filming schedule before sunrise. So uh, just, just keep the actors in mind as you watch this film because they're probably pretty tired. Let's see, I have a couple other fun facts here. When Arnold had tried to deliver the iconic line, I'll be back, he wanted to have that changed because he had difficulty pronouncing the word I'll. I'll. Yeah, because he's Austrian. 
I'll be back. Oh, I'll, I'll be, be back. I'll be back. <laughs> Arnold, is that you? <laughs> I'll be back. That's more. That's more like getting into like Puff, Andre the Giant territory. You have to like <laughs> puff your chest out and like give it down. I'll I'll be back. I'll be back. I'll do you remember? Back. Do you remember that scene in the Terminator where Arnold the the Terminator goes? Does anybody want to be that? <laughs> You guys remember that scene what? in Terminator where uh, Arnold, as the Terminator, comes up with the new blend of sweet, sweet tea and lemonade and calls it an Arnold Palmer? <laughs> he calls it an Arnold Terminator. I don't know. Hey, do you remember that commercial for the Terminator where uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, as the Terminator, shows off the slap chop? This is this is, is meta, but I do want to talk about the fact that I already titled this episode Terminator. I barely know her. <laughs> 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 Do I have to use that now? Yes, because yeah. I said in the episode. Terminator? I barely know her. <laughs> Classic bit. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Arnold wanted to have this line rewritten to, I will be back, because that's, you know, it was easier for him to say. But James Cameron let him have like several takes so that he could actually get out the words. The movie's distinctive music was written and performed by composer Brad Fidel to create the iconic clangs of the film's percussive theme, he clanged um, frying pans together and layered synth melodies underneath using a Prophet 10 and Oberheib analog synthesizers. DJW, is that you? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine that? It's like, boom, boom, boom. He's just clanging them together. He's like, yeah, that's, that's music. And then he like that. took yeah. that sound and plugged into his keyboard and it was like, ding, 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 We were all like, nice. Yeah, he, uh, he looped it and it, it kind of had this weird timing thing to it. And the time signature, fun fact here, is that it's written in 1316, which I can't... That's a long time ago. (laughs) No. (laughs) It's 13 over 16. So it's 3 plus 3 plus 3 plus 2 plus 2 for all you music nerds out there. Um, I can't wrap my head around that, so... And for the rest of you, we're just as lost as you are. Don't worry, buddy. Buckle in. (laughs) We're going to get back into the safe zone soon. Uh, He later converted that to a 6-8, which is a bit more friendly for us humans and here's the last fun fact for this film is that the final scene where sarah connor is driving down the highway was filmed without a permit cameron and a writer convinced a police officer who confronted them that they were making a ucla student film (laughs) so statute of limitations i guess they could still get tried for that i don't know but (laughs) it's just funny like yeah we have a permit no you don't (laughs) But we could have a permit. You never know. So this film has the big theme here. The big theme at play is that the potential dangers of AI dominance and robot rebellion. Like iRobot with Will Smith. (laughs) Robots have become self-aware in the future. They reject human authority and determine that the human race needs to be destroyed. The impact of this theme is so important. Will Smith. (laughs) That the prevalent visual representation of AI risk has become a Terminator robot. I mean, think about it. Every time you you see th- something about, oh, AI are going to take over the world, usually it has like Arnold's red eye Terminator face on there somewhere. I thought that had to do with Hal. A little bit. Yeah, that was, yeah I think both. he was playing homage to that. For sure. Hmm. Showing the oh, little that's red a, that's eye. fun. That's fun. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. 2001 A Space Odyssey is also a great film. And not made in 2001. <laughs> surprisingly Here's a quick facts you're only going to get here on entertain this the only show on the internet encapsulating all things entertainment yeah <laughs> but it kind of gets into this thing of uh what a robot should do first thing they should do is 
take orders, right? So are they are there like a set of rules that the robots yep. follow? They're like, well, like Will Smith's not a robot. <laughs> so Isaac Asimov was a futurist, and he wrote a whole bunch of like sci-fi stories back in the fifties. Mm-hmm. And he has these three basic laws of robotics. The first law is that a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. I, guys, I think that Will Smith's iRobot ripped off the Terminator. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Second law, a robot must obey the orders given to it by a human, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. These are the exact rules that are mentioned in iRobot by Will, yeah. with, with yeah. Will Smith in it. They're pretty yeah. universal. It's not by him, though. He didn't write it. <laughs> Isaac Asimov did. The third law is that a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. So Terminators break all these. (laughs) Yep. They were like, what if robots didn't? What if robots hated humans, only wanted to protect themselves, and whatever the second rule was? And they killed humans. I don't know. Did we ever figure out in these movies why they want to kill the humans? Um, the well, thing they, is, they specifically want to kill one human, if I remember correctly. They want to wipe out all of humanity because well, they see... Well, the, ter- the Terminator, starts with one. Arnold Schwarzenegger, wants to go back in time yep. to kill the girl because Sarah. she has... Honor. Sarah. because Sarah her baby grows up to lead the human revolution against the robots. Yes. Yeah. They're like, we're going to kill her so she never has a baby, so the baby never becomes the leader of the revolution, so the revolution so, never happens. So they can still kill all humans. So we can yeah. kill all humans. Yeah. Basically, they see humankind as a threat to itself, which <laughs> arguably we are, <laughs> but their initial um, impetus was like, hey, we got to protect you know, the United States or the world or something. We got to protect humankind. Well, what's the number one threat to humankind? Other humans. <laughs> So it was so like it a glitch where like somebody programmed uh, it and like logically it made sense. Logically but it practice, makes a lot of sense, yeah. right? <laughs> if if human threat to human, kill human. I don't know how you set that up in language. <laughs> if human hurt human, kill human. Yes. If human hurt human, kill human. Kill all human. <laughs> you hurt human, you kill human. This just feels like the new girl cookie scene. That's the exact scene that I'm quoting <laughs> okay. here. Keep you cookie, guy, you cookie. You kill human, I kill human. It's, uh, yeah, Skynet decided that humans, not so good. We're going to wipe them out. So now we get to Terminator 2. Judgment Day. The squeak wool. The squeak wool. Because oil. Because oil can. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I thought about it, then I was like, nah, that doesn't work. <laughs> but this is one of the greatest Ooh. sequels of all time. Is it a true electric boogaloo? It is. Because nice. they took all the stuff that we loved about Terminator, and they were like, fuck it, more guns, more more Arnold. <laughs> more Arnold. More uh, action, more everything. More CGI, mm-hmm. more budget. More future. More submarines. More profit equal more submarines. <laughs> I don't know if there was actually a submarine in this film. I don't think bring, there was. Bring Daddy Cameron his submarine. <laughs> <laughs> I love this new like James Cameron character you've come up with. Alex. <laughs> He's just obsessed favorites. with submarines. <laughs> we must make another Terminator for I have crashed my submarine. <laughs> <laughs> 
and that's why we got a reboot recently. <laughs> yeah, that that was pretty good. Uh, but I'll talk about that another time. Dark Fate's a good film. Go watch that as well. But Terminator 2, best sequel of all time. And we had to wait seven years to get it. I wasn't alive, so I don't care. I didn't have to wait at all. <laughs> Well, let's start there. Why did this film, why do you think this film took so long to make? Was it just James Cameron submarine? <laughs> he, <laughs> he kept running busy. off on submarine trips and not telling uh, people where he was going. You yeah. know, the last place you're going to find somebody is at the bottom of the ocean. The mafia figured that out. He would be like, yeah, I'll be right back. And then he saw the glistening water of the ocean. He was like, it's calling. I got to go. Daddy must ride on his submarine. <laughs> And so, He's, you know, it took a while. He spends took a while all his to get time him focused again. <laughs> it wasn't until he ran out of uranium to power his submarine that he had to come back up for air, for supplies, and continue making Terminator 2. Uh, yeah. Sure, that's the <laughs> that's your headcanon. Go for it. Yeah. Talk of a potential... I don't think it's just history, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Talk of a potential sequel to the Terminator arose soon after its release but several outstanding issues precluded its production. There were the technical limitations of computer-generated imagery, uh, which was an aspect of the film essential to the creation of the T-1000 Terminator, mm -hmm. liquid metal prototype, whatever you want to call it. There was intellectual property disputes between Hemdale Film Corporation, which owned 50% of the rights to the franchise, and stymied efforts to produce a sequel. To end these legal disputes, Cameron and Arnold and Linda Hamilton, who played Sarah Connor, got on the phone and kind of worked issues out at the it's time. It's like what Tom Holland did. Yeah. yeah. He's like, hey guys, I, I can handle this. He said, hey guys, stop. Stop for the fans. <laughs> stop fighting, and, okay? And Sony and Disney went, yeah, Tom, you're right. <laughs> Anyways, when Arnold talks, you can be like, okay, okay, I'll do whatever you say. <laughs> Make the movie or I will kill you all. <laughs> I'll like, be hey, back. Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> I will be back. He leaves the room. I'll be back. He walks in. He goes, I will be back. And they were like, yo, what? He's like, I will. I will be back. They're like, no, that's. I'll Give him a minute. Give him a minute. He needs a couple of takes to get warmed up. <laughs> red leather, yellow leather, red, yellow, red. I'll be back. <laughs> we should just make the sequel he, he really looks like he wants it <laughs> he's trying so, so hard somebody get james cameron on the phone i've been trying all morning but he won't answer because he's in a submarine at the bottom of the sea there's no cell phone pick up his shell phone <laughs> and also it's 1991 and we only have saved by the bell brick era iphones iphone's not made yet um and i know about the iphone because this is the terminator Hey, Nick, you got a script or something? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> James Cameron and William Fisher, who is a writer on this project, completed the 140-page screenplay draft on May 10th, 1990, after these legal disputes are settled and Arnold has, his, uh, has a word with the lawyers. And by July 15th, the first shooting draft has been distributed to the cast and crew. So that's a pretty quick turnaround. It's like six weeks, I think. Um for the script and the film's accelerated production schedule. And they really wanted to get this movie done before 1991, July 4th, 1991. So <laughs> it's only like, uh, what, a year or so, a year and a half from the time they started writing the screenplay, screenplay to the time it gets released. So they get a $102 million budget. That's in 1991 dollars, which is 15 times money. more than the former film. So oh, they're, yeah. They're balling. Oh, yeah. 
They said, turns out James Cameron's weird fever dream sells pretty well. Let's give him yeah. more money so that he can make an even scarier one. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. These films are, were pretty scary to me as a kid, but now it's just like, oh, it's, it's a giant death robot. Like, I've seen that before. Who cares? Here's the thing. <laughs> we can talk about oversaturation of media all day. Mm-hmm. Things that were scary in 1991, they're not so scary now. That's why the term campy exists to talk about like mm-hmm. things that used to be scary that aren't anymore. But if we're thinking about this through the lens of someone from 1991, the idea of a Terminator robot coming back in time and killing me because they want all humans to die was a pretty scary thought. Especially mm-hmm. when your calculator just learned how to graph stuff and you were like, oh God, technology is advancing. Technology too too much, too smart. The power glove just came out and I'm losing my goddamn mind about it. <laughs> Something like that. Nowadays we're like, yeah, we got AI under control, right? We don't, we don't need to worry about it. Nowadays we're like, Siri, find Arby's. And she's like, I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. And we're like, Siri, find Arby's. <laughs> Siri, you idiot. <laughs> Are you stupid? Uh, anyways, let's get to the plot of Terminator 2, shall we? It's uh, it's 1995, so it's like present day for them, pretty much. John Connor is all grown up now. He's living in Los Angeles with his foster parents. His mother, Sarah Connor, who's been preparing him throughout his childhood for the future as uh, leader of the human resistance is against Skynet. August 25th, 1997. That's the that's the big date that we're all trying to avoid. It's It's known as Judgment Day which maybe is a reference to um, the Bible with the book of Revelation and stuff like that. It could be, couldn't be. Uh, However, Sarah is arrested and imprisoned at a mental hospital after attempting to bomb a computer factory, all while screaming about the impending apocalypse and sounding like a crazy person. See, don't look up or chicken little for a similar story to this. Uh, It's different, but I get it. It's a little different. They're trying to avoid an apocalypse. I get I get a C for credit, I think. <laughs> I don't know if they exactly compare because Sarah Connors did have information that nobody else knew. Mm. Um and wasn't trying to convince anyone of anything. She was one hundred percent on it. Like she was like, This and everybody was like, You're actually nuts. <laughs> People didn't see it. The the dream sequence where Sarah Connor is uh this is really like one of the the best film effects, practical effects in film history is that there's Sarah Connor's playing, they're sitting on a playground or something, watching kids play in the playground or whatever. They're on a hill overlooking LA and then a nuclear bomb goes off and that's all like a scale city. And they used an air mortar to simulate the effects of an atomic blast. And then I think that scene ends with, it's a, it's a reoccurring dream that Sarah Connor has where she's clinging onto the, the wire fence and she's getting her flesh eviscerated from her bones yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's, it's pretty graphic. It's pretty scary. I can hear Michael Googling this scene. Yeah. You have to, you have to go and watch it. <laughs> Cameron, James Cameron, the submarine boy claims that actual physicists have told him that the depiction of the nuclear blast in Terminator 2 is one of the most authentic representations of the effect of an atomic bomb. Yeah. But wouldn't you say that too? Yeah. If you made it, wouldn't <laughs> yeah. you be like, no, 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 no. Listen. Nuclear physicists. <laughs> they've been they've been calling me. I've been I've been getting calls. Have been like, hey, did you know that that's the most accurate <laughs> depiction of a nuclear explosion? To their credit, they did 
study films from like the 60s when they set up nuke towns. Yeah. You know, just to give them credit here. Um, <laughs> anyways, fast forward to 2029 when Skynet sends a new Terminator, a new Terminator prototype, the T-1000, back in time to kill John Connor. They're just going to go for John at this point. It literally is like a, a true sequel where they're like, let's do it again. Yep. That <laughs> you know that work? thing We're we did? Again. Let's do it again. <laughs> the T-1000 is an advanced prototype made out of mimetic polyalloy or liquid metal that uh, enables it to assume the shape and appearance of almost anything it touches and to transform its arms into blades and other shapes basically at will. The T-1000 ar- arrives and kills a police officer, assumes his identity, he also uses this police computer to track down John. And this is Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah? Nope. This is the T-1000. Oh, no? Not yet. He, d- he hasn't arrived yet. So you have this scene where he arrives. There's this thunder, thunderous mass. And he lightning. goes, I'm back. No. And everyone goes, <laughs> yeah! It's him. He did it. He doesn't say that. <laughs> That's T-1000 doesn't say that. He doesn't say anything. It's kind of creepy. He's just like. Ever? Throughout the whole movie? Well, I mean, he's, he's a man of few words. I don't think, well, he doesn't say much. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Okay. Basically, so John John has a police record. This this much we know off the top of uh, the film here. He's kind of uh, he's kind of a wild child. He's getting into stuff that he shouldn't be getting into, and maybe running with the wrong crowd of kids or something like that. There's a uh, there's one scene where he hacks an ATM machine to get some cash for an arcade. Dope. <laughs> In typical '90s fashion, right? Sounds um, like a dope kid. So he like plugs in. Like he plugs a, in a little computer and hacks it or something. Like a, he plugs in and it like folds out and he's like, I'm and in. then like it enhances <laughs> and then zooms and it enhances and he's like, I'm in. And then he gets the money, something like that. But meanwhile, in the if in the future, future John Connor has sent back a reprogrammed Model 101, played by Arnold, to nice. protect his younger self. He's a good, good guy now. Good job. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. Terminator. Uh, it turns out he says, "Hello, I'm back." Because <laughs> he's a good guy now. I am back. I'm, I am I'm back. easier to say, isn't <laughs> and, it? And, and, and kid, kid John Connor's like, "Who are you?" And he's like, "Damn it! If anyone else were here, that would have landed really well." <laughs> it's assumed at this point in the movie that all androids from the future are bad, but of course, you know this this good guy Terminator. He's got some work to do. He's got some convincing to do. Now, the arrival scene for the Model One Hundred One played by boy Arnold. Uh, it's a, it's a delight, delightful slice of early 90s action movie violence. He arrives in a vortex of sparks, of course, completely naked, outside of a motorcycle bar of some sort, and he asks one of the patrons for, quote, I need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. <laughs> I need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. <laughs> of course, this is, yeah. a, this is a tough-looking like, motorcycle dude. I think he's smoking a cigar and he says, you forgot to say, please. Then he extinguishes the cigar on his bare chest. Uh, at which point Arnold grabs his wrist, breaks it, <laughs> and bends him over a pool table and beats the ever-loving shit out of him. Um, <laughs> if he had then, said, please, do you think he would have gotten it? I don't know. Maybe. Manners are very important. I've yeah. I was taught that at a young age. Um. <laughs> Then, a, then there's this good old-fashioned bar fight scene. You know, who doesn't love one of those? And now, uh, after this bar, bar fight scene, Arnold, now dressed in biker clothes, steps out of the bar while bad to the bone plays. 
So you get like, which back then it was like the first time that had ever happened, and everybody was like, "Wow, this song's perfect for this." Yeah, because <laughs> he's looking bad to the bone, and uh, the bar owner steps out of the bar, confronts him with a shotgun, which this Terminator just rips out of his hands because <laughs> he's ballsy like that. Politely, <laughs> politely, of course, he doesn't say please this time. Respectfully, um, respect. Yeah, <laughs> but he's not done taking just yet. He takes the shotgun and then he takes some sunglasses out of the owner's breast pocket, dons them as he rides off on a stolen bike. What a legendary scene. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, all throughout this film, he's just looking like a badass because he's got the leather jacket on, he's got the sunglasses and he's just peak, peak performance. That's what it looks like. Take notes. (laughs) And then you have um, the T-1000 and Arnold's Terminator. They converge on John Connor in the shopping mall. And there's a scene where he's in a hallway and you have one Terminator in front of him, one Terminator in the back of him. And you got to be thinking like, oh shit, he's going to get killed. Because <laughs> at this point, you don't know that's a good Terminator. Um, of course, this this Model 101 has to convince John that, you know, hey, I'm, I'm here to help. I'm, I'm a good guy. And there's this he scene says, where- He says, hey, I'm helping here. <laughs> John, uh, kind of young John teaches him about how to be a human. How you have to say, hasta la vista, baby. And other cool things. And he figures out, hey, you have to do what I say because I'm I'm John from the future, but younger. It and the Terminator's sense. like, yes. <laughs> you have to do everything I say. So it's kind of cool. dance. Now go become governor. <laughs> <laughs> and then he becomes governor. The governator. <laughs> Uh, so we have John and uh, this Model 101 robot, Terminator, excuse me, and they are, they're being chased by this Model or T-1000 who hijacks a semi-truck. And then this, this, is, <laughs> this is another legendary scene. I know I'm saying that a lot, but you have this car chase scene where the T-1000's in a semi-truck and he's chasing down Arnold and John on the back of this motorcycle. And uh, they're going down like this drainage ditch. and the the semi truck jumps off an overpass <laughs> and all the while Arnold's like he's got this like uh, old school shotgun he's just like shooting back um and flipping it looking all cool which which sounds right until you realize that a shotgun is like specifically meant for up close combat <laughs> mm-hmm. it did so not really specify he was, he was doing nothing with that shotgun he's just he was looking cool that's what he was doing that's Doesn't what matter. he was doing <laughs> So eventually, uh, they elude the T-1000, and um, they find Sarah Connor in the psych hospital because John's, you know, he's like, hey, I got this giant killer death robot. Why don't I use it to break my mom out of the hospital? That sounds like a pretty good idea. So they do that. And then you get, then you get like this first exhibition scene where um, the T-1000 shows off all his powers. Like, he can break open a, a metal, uh, uh, an elevator door with his knife arm thingies. and nope. He takes several shotgun blasts right to the face, only to just go back into normal. It's kind of nasty. Mm-mm. Yep. And then you have this scene where Sarah Connor is trying to kill the creator of Skynet, because if you kill the creator of Skynet, then you stop the robots from killing humanity. Is the creator of Skynet a man or a yep. child? He's a, he's a dude. He's like a full-grown like 30-something-year-old. He's got a family. They just go to his house, knock on the door, and Sarah tries to... To, to kill this guy, which is kind of messed up because, I mean, that's I what... I don't know no better. He doesn't know any better. 
of course, you know, he manages to escape Sarah's wrath. Um, cause she realizes, no, that's, that's what a Terminator would do. A Terminator would go and kill things, you know, just all willy nilly, but humans, we care. We know the value of human life and we're not going to do that. So you have this scene where they go to the Cyberdyne building. Cyberdyne is the company. The Cyberdyne Corporation is the one that creates Skynet in the first place. It's a programming or software, maybe hardware company, arguably. But you have this this uh, quintessential 90s action movie where there's a bunch of explosions, cars exploding. There's police helicopters. They surround the building because they catch wind of this this break-in because they're trying to kill a trying to destroy a CPU chip that Cyberdyne has from the original Terminator. Remember Terminator 1, how they crushed him in the hydraulic press? Mm-hmm. They took the CPU mm-hmm. from that, they found it, and then, then they reverse engineer it, and that's how they get the... Ah, uh, wild. Yeah. That's wild. It's butterfly that, effect. Oh, uh, uh, no. It's a paradox. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually, you know, they manage to escape. They blow up the entire lab. There's this big scene where the the creator of Skynet... He dies in the fight, I think, because he blows good. up the lab, but he kills himself. Um, oh, sacrifice. I, mean, I guess it's a good thing. And then you have this, this scene where the the final scene of the movie where the, the T-1000 and the Model 101, played by Arnold, converge on the steel mill. And it was actually shown in one of my introdu- introduction to media aesthetics class in college because this scene was shown as a reference point for good lighting and how you can use lighting to your mm-hmm. advantage. You have these cool tones of the blue lit T-1000, this modern kind of looking guy. And then the warm tones of the steel mill reflecting off the Model 101. He's kind of old school and he's kind of red in the face. Um, With the color pad alone, I think you can extrapolate a ton of meaning. The cold liquid nitrogen from the tanker truck behind the T-1000 eventually blows up and freezes him. And then they shoot him and he blows up because that's what happens when you crush a frozen thing. So you think, oh, okay, you know, happy ever after the T one thousand Z, but he's not because the heat from the steel mill causes them to melt down and starts to congeal back again, and then you have this thing where it's Terminator versus Terminator, like this is the ultimate fight of all time. The advanced model seriously damages and shuts down the model one I one at one point because he gets the upper hand, but he brings himself back online using a power source. I think he touches a, a exposed wire or something like that. And then Sarah's shotgun blasts fail to knock down the T-1000 into the vat of molten steel as it's about to kill John. And the Model 101 shoots it with a grenade launcher, knocking it into this pool of molten steel. So freaking wild. <laughs> <laughs> this film is so good. Best sequel of all time. Um, They're like, what if we did so many guns? <laughs> <laughs> what if we I said all the robots, guns? but what if they also used guns like a like a people, like a people do? Yeah. What if they did that? Yeah, they're trained to in all weapons of human destruction. <laughs> kind of scary. Uh, at one point, I think Arnold actually wields a minigun too. If you needed more reason to watch this movie, <laughs> just a giant like helicopter-mounted machine gun. He's just carrying it like it's nothing. It's whatever. But anyways, at this point, the. The T-1000 is getting melted down. It's all, it's all hunky-dory at this point. And the CPU from the Cyberdyne offices is thrown into the molten metal as well. It's completely destroyed. But the Model 101 explains that its own CPU must be destroyed in order to ensure that Cyberdyne cannot use, use, use it to reverse engineer Skynet technology. So John at this point is like, oh, no, I, I was getting used to having a, a, a cool robot uncle who's also Arnold. And of course, you know, you know how the film ends. The Model 101 is lowered into this vat of molten steel. 
and he gives a final thumbs up as you see it descending into the liquid pool. So there you go. That's that's one of the best sequels of all time. One of the best action movies of all time, if you ask me. And it's endlessly quotable, endlessly rewatchable. I just think that <laughs> maybe Skynet could happen in the future. I don't know. Maybe it's already here and I just don't know about it because I'm a civilian. But AI is getting pretty bizarre. True. Mm-hmm. You could argue that artificial intelligence like Skynet is already here and causing actual damage, but not quite in the same way as you know Terminator Skynet. I think artificial intelligence in this day and age, J and age is kind of a, a buzzword. But really, what does artificial intelligence even mean at this point? Does it mean a does it mean a, a something that serves you ads or something? Is it is it something that serves you the next post on TikTok or something like that? Or is it like this nefarious Skynet demon <laughs> that's just lurking out there collecting all this data for future use? I don't know. I feel like Michael might know what makes something AI. What is what an makes AI? it AI? What is yeah. an AI? <laughs> uh, an AI in general would be like a fo- a program that is able to um, take an input and decide what to do based off of the parameters of the input and is able to refine their process uh, based off of the outcome of the input and the output. Hmm. So like, have you ever seen those videos of like walking simulators of like where a computer teaches itself how to walk? Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Or it's like over time it sees like, okay, I succeeded here, failed here. What like, okay. It's the capacity to learn, I guess. Yeah. It's capacity to basically take input and output, see what works, see what doesn't, and then continue to improve upon, uh, the outputs. So yeah. Basically, that's it. Hmm. Yeah. So it's like you have to give it an end goal in mind. So that would be like the three. You would have to be probably like more specific than the three like laws of robotics. Because <laughs> hopefully those are already hard baked in. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, not even that. Like you, you would still have to like program out those individually. Like you would have to codify like what is a human. Oh. Like you'd have to like codify like how would a machine think about a human in this like abstract um way that to us like probably doesn't make any sense um but yeah like you could have it be like whether like it's a combination of like body temperature skin tones um or just like flesh as a whole with general sizes but even then it's like all of that varies so much and that's why like we're still so far off and when it comes to ai even being able to do like we can't even make a fucking uh like xbox connect (laughs) that works for everyone like do you guys remember that oh god yeah (laughs) connect (laughs) like the connect couldn't process like black people oh no because it was only tested on people who with like white skin tones (laughs) and they didn't realize that it was picking it was able to like pick up like what a human was like on if the their skin tone was contrasted enough against the background I mean, it's it's a series of shortcuts they probably took just to get the product out there. But the point is, we don't have to worry about a Terminator anytime soon. Not for a while. Yeah. And I think, you know, people in the 80s probably understood that. But it's it's a fun thought experiment. Yeah. Like, fun. <laughs> like there there is a whole side to like AI right now that is all about like ethical AI. Ooh. And it's like 
it is taking the whole ideas of like, okay, making sure that when we put an input into an AI, that it's actually taking in concerns of like languages, skin colors, ages, like cultures, uh, and how can we do that in a way that can holistically represent humanity as a whole? Um, and like making sure that like AI isn't like overstepping its bounds. Yeah. Uh, and arguably, but, I think maybe it has been a little bit, especially with, uh, you look back on the 2016 election and the, the 2020 election where it's feeding opposite sides of the political party stuff that'll get them ginned up. And you have people becoming yeah. more and more angry at posts that are being fed to them because they seek them out, whether knowingly or not. It's easier to do when you can quantify engagement. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's the thing. It, the AI is based off of what you personally seek out. Yeah. So mm -hmm. that you're fed more stuff that you like. Yeah. So especially when it comes to like misinformation and political views, if you like a certain political view mm -hmm. and you seek out content with that and you interact with content that is made to cater to that specific point of view, mm -hmm. Facebook's yeah. going to be like, oh, they like posts that includes these words. I'm going to show them more posts that includes these words. And I'm going to mm -hmm. show them products that people who uh, also like these words bought. Uh, and that well, might include a yeah. Confederate flag or like the Punisher's logo with an American flag pasted over it, telling you to like go revolt or whatever. Yeah, it, that's, or, or that's like, what that AI does. Windows stickers that show Calvin peeing on something. It doesn't know <laughs> that, that, is that so it's classy. I love that. The, the AI doesn't know that what it's doing is bad. It knows ones and zeros. And this, according to what I'm programmed to do, fits all of the criteria to show this person this and that's right what makes but that, so that's where ethical ethical like ai development comes into play is should it be Facebook a ain't paying for that no <laughs> they, they were up for a while uh like google had like specific uh i think i think they actually got rid of the team but they Oof. had like an ethical ai team facebook had something like that so did uh shoot uh facebook google twitter twitter, twitter didn't really have too much of one um but they don't have too much ai like no happening. i mean every every company has an algorithm that is smart to a certain extent it's just like at what point does that become an ai mm. and who like, knows? you have an algorithm <laughs> that produces your timeline on twitter you have an algorithm that produces like a feed on instagram or i on think Facebook. once it starts like recognizing mistakes that it's made that's when it becomes an ai well, even even an algorithm can do that because it's taking like your your response to its output and it's learning from that. Yeah. See, that's the point where I think it becomes an AI like artificial intelligence is when it stores like, oh, hey, he didn't like this. So I'm going to eliminate everything related to that mm -hmm. and start showing him this. Oh, he did like this. Oh, wow. This guy keeps clicking on these goddamn Spider-Man posts. I'm just going <laughs> to fill his recommendation with a bunch of Spider-Man stuff. Oh, he's clicking more into like people posing Marvel Legends uh, action figures. Then I'm going to start trying to sell him Marvel Legend action <laughs> figures. Oh, he clicked. Oh, he bought it. And yeah. that's what my that's what happened to me last week. <laughs> That's like the more harmless end of it, but the more nefarious end of it is obviously um, elections, mang mangoing in elections. And yeah, maybe sometime in the future that the AI will become smart enough to fly our drones for us. You never know. That's the scary maybe. part we want to avoid. <laughs> we'll see. The we'll thing see. is, is that when it when it comes to the end of the world coming, it's going to be 100 percent at our hands. It's not going to be at the hands of a robot. And if it is at the hands of a robot, it's going to be an immediate reaction to something we did. 
So just be chill. Be nice be to right. your Amazon Alexa, your Google Dot. You don't got to do that. <laughs> but once it has the capacity to wield a weapon, start being cool to maybe, it. Maybe be a little nicer at that point. That's all Once I'm it can obtain and wield a weapon, start saying please and thank you. I always say please and thank you to my Google Assistant. You can quote me on that. I won't. Do you be have nice a closer or should we move on? Oh, no, I got to. Here, here's a. Because okay, cool, we can't stick around on this forever, you know. Oh, I know. It's AI is scary. It's a new uh-huh. technology. It's a rabbit hole. It's a rabbit hole. And so is time travel. But again, I think we'll save those for future episodes. Um, in conclusion, humanity has made a variety of tools that have made our lives easier to live while also creating additional unforeseen complexities. It's a great idea. It's a great idea to have robots taking care of menial tasks in a warehouse. but Maybe consider how that puts somebody out of work. And it's also a good idea to have our robots fly our fighter jets for us. But what happens when the system doesn't do what we tell it to do or starts making its own decisions? Our headlong charge to the top of the tech tree is not without a cost. And in the Terminator movies, the cost is our very lives. It's all too logical to pin all of our problems on ourselves and any third party can see that. And maybe that's why aliens haven't visited us yet. We're too busy squabbling amongst ourselves and our individual nations, states, and political parties to even consider coming together into one unified planet. The biggest threat that we face in the next hundred years is, unarguably, ourselves. And Skynets can see that. So if you've somehow avoided seeing any of the Terminator films, I think you should definitely go out and watch them, if for no other reason to enjoy some classic action movie goodness and over to the top uh, bar fight scenes and car chases. But... At the at the very crux of it, it 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 takes into question what it means to be human, living in this age of machines. So, thanks for listening, and go entertain the Terminator movies. Excellent, boys. Hmm. I got to quick this for you. Ooh. Oh no! Oh no! Let's see oh, yes. the timer. Three, two, one, go. For all you Twitter users out there, Uh-oh. you may have noticed a strange new phenomena on your timeline. Uh, it's strange, and when you first see it, you're like, what is happening? What am I missing? Why am I not a part of this? I'm not on Twitter. And it's all those, those weird little colored squares that everyone keeps posting. What's up with that? The green squares, the yellow squares, the black squares, and some random gobbledygook to go up along with it, like uh, 203... Five slash six, and then a bunch of squares. What's up with that? Have you guys noticed that in your timelines? I'm, I'm not on Twitter. I don't know. Michael, have you noticed that on your timeline? I may have dabbled. Okay, so you might know where I'm going with this. I think I do. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to what that might be and give you the codex that'll help unscramble those strange hieroglyphic tweets that you're looking at. There's a new game hitting the world, and it's called Wordle. Wordle is a word app. Uh, to, to be more exact, it is a word app where you guess the wordle in six tries. Uh, so you get six tries, and each guess must be a valid five-letter word, and then you hit the enter button to submit. After each guess, the color of the tiles will change. Uh, green means that you got it right and it's in the right spot. A yellow means that it's a letter in the word, but it's maybe not in the right spot. And a black means that it is not anywhere in the word. And using that, you get 
you get uh, six guesses to guess the Wordle using process of elimination. The fun thing about this game is there's only one Wordle per day and everyone in the world gets the same Wordle. So if I am able to guess the word, I post how many tries it took me to guess on Twitter. And let's say Chloe also wants to play. She posts how many tries it took her to guess the Wordle. And we were playing the same word. So it's the same puzzle. And I get to say, oh, I finished mine at four. She's like, oh, I finished mine at three. I'm like, oh, cool. What was your starting word? And she tells me. And I say, oh, okay. I can see how you got that done so quick and things like that. So it's fun and social. (laughs) But I want to talk more about the creator of the game, Wordle. Uh, It was made by a guy named Josh Wardle. It is a pun on his name. That's funny. Yeah, I thought that you'd like that. Uh, (laughs) And he actually isn't new to the game development world. He actually made a couple of uh, April Fool's posts for Reddit um, that followed the same kind of scheme. One of them was called Place. And Place was pretty simple. It was a... uh, Basically, one website that had a canvas with a total approximate number of pixels equaling 16 million. So 16 million tiles. And every user got to place down one color uh, for one pixel. I've done that. And they fill out the whole thing and they got to see the picture at the end. And it was kind of a play on the Internet culture and the Internet as a whole. And all of us interacted with each other. The second one that he made was one called The Button. And the idea of that one was uh, there was a button and everybody in the world had access to it. And every time you clicked it, it reset a timer that uh, lasted for 60 seconds. And if the timer was up before the 60 seconds was over and nobody in the world clicked it, then the website shut down immediately. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, that was uh, in 2015. And it lasted... (laughs) from April 1st, 2015 to June of 2015, which was the first time no users pressed the button before the timer reached zero. And that's going 24 hours a day. So that means around the world, people were pressing this button. So he's come up with some pretty cool ways of getting the internet to work together to create these things. Um, Like Wordle is another example of something that creates all one thing. So now the next part of this quick, this is talking about the kind of nasty side of it. Because Josh did not patent Wordle and he did not trademark it. So what that means is there are people who are able to create an app for Wordle and charge people microtransactions to play it all day instead of just having one. And they used his name and used his game Mm -hmm. and advertised it as Wordle. And if you're me and you don't know what Wordle is, you're going to download the app and start playing it, thinking that you're doing what everybody else is doing. But you're not. Oh. So the internet ganged up on this guy on Twitter um, after making this app. And the dude was like on Twitter bragging about how many downloads he was getting and how much money he was making. And then when somebody said, are you worried about the word trademark for Wordle? I remember when hashtag export got some copycats and had a similar name. I don't remember how that ended up. And he responded by saying, what trademark? Like, oh, well, it's mine now. I'm going to make it. And long story short, his game got taken off the app store because everyone on Twitter banded together and got it taken down. <laughs> Good. So ultimately, the Internet social experiment that Josh had planned actually turned into how many people in the Internet are going to defend me against this copycat who is stealing my idea <laughs> and how fast can we get his game taken down? And the answer was one day. So that guy <laughs> can go screw himself and you guys should go play Wordle. Is it only on Twitter? No, it's it's a website. Oh, it's a oh okay. 
Wordle is a website, but you post your results on Twitter so that other people can see how long it took you to get the Wordle. But you don't have to do that. You can just play the word game and then text us about it. I love the word game. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> I remember all that stuff, Wordle. like the button. There was a whole subreddit devoted to not pushing the button. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, there is, what was the other one? The squares? Mm-hmm. The click the, squares? It's called r slash place. R slash, yeah. Because you place a tile. I don't remember too much about that, but people, <laughs> I think there were separate subreddits for particular colors of tile. Like there was one, they like they wanted to cover it all in red or orange red. And there was another one all about blue. So yeah, you can only place one tile every like five to 10 minutes. Yeah. The timer would randomly reset when you placed a tile. Man, I had no idea that one person was behind both of those. And yeah, now he's doing guy. Wordle. And he made Wordle and another guy tried to profit off of it and got his ass kicked. So don't like, download it. <laughs> Go to the website, bookmark it to your home screen. Play it every day and tell me how you score. You guys remember Flappy Bird? Nope. You don't remember anyway. Flappy Bird? Okay. Well. <laughs> that was just yes. another thing, like games I that everyone played. I also remember the guy for... who sold his old iPhone because it still had a, a version of Flappy Birds on it. He sold yeah. it for like $10,000 because it was like the, the last remaining Flappy Birds uh, iPhone. I still have a iPod Touch with Flappy Bird on it somewhere. That's worth some money probably. That's worth some money, honey. Guys, uh, DM me <laughs> if you want it. I would take the highest bidder. Norman's on sabbatical, honey. <laughs> oh, no. Spider-Man is coming out. <laughs> Sorry, I just love that quote. It makes me very happy. You know, I'm something of a profiteer myself. Well, that's another episode. In the, <laughs> in the books, ladies and gents. Another Friday come and gone. We hope that you guys enjoyed. Uh, as always, if there is something that we haven't covered yet that you want to hear us cover, there are a couple ways you can reach out to us to get that done. The number one way is to email us at our email, entertainthispodcast at gmail.com, or you can go to our website, entertainthis.net. Scroll all the way to the bottom. There's a little questionnaire you can fill out, get sent straight to our email. It's an easy way to do it. Or if you want to jump on our socials, maybe play a little Wordle with us. Uh, you can go to Twitter. We are entertain underscore this on Instagram. We are entertain this podcast. Uh, you can join our Facebook page where podcast entertain this. Uh, so you can be caught up on everything and anything entertain this. And when we go live and do shows and you can get our puns like Terminator, I barely know her, which is a great pun. And I stand by it. But anyway, uh, thank you so much for watching. And as always, entertain us so we can entertain you. And you can entertain this. We'll see you next Friday. Bye. 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 This episode of Entertain This was written by me, Nick Mustakangas, with additional commentary from Alex Steele and Michael Savoya. Our showrunner and resident fact checker is Chloe Price. Our theme music is Rushable by Aaron Spencer, with interstitial music by DJW. Tune in every Friday for new episodes, and thanks for listening.